minutes north latitude and 60 degrees 35 minutes west longitude. They both estimated the minimum length of the beast at more than 350 feet. The largest whales, those which frequent those parts of the sea around the Aleutian Islands, have never exceeded a length of more than 180 feet, if that. News of these events spread around the world like wildfire. The question of the monster inflamed all minds. They sang of it in cafes, ridiculed it in the papers, and even represented it on the stage. Every conceivable story and explanation circulated regarding it. There were unending arguments between the believers and the unbelievers in the societies of the wise and the scientific journals. While everyone was quarreling, the sightings of the unknown object suddenly stopped. By the beginning of the year 1867, talk of the creature had finally faded and the public's imagination had moved on to other fancies. Then, on the 13th of April, 1867, We are sinking! We are sinking! The Scotia of the Cunard Company's line, travelling at a speed of 13 knots, was struck on her quarter just after the port paddle. Captain Anderson went down immediately into the hole. Calm yourself, man. Calm yourself. Stop the engines at once. Find out what the extent of the damages are, then seal off the fifth compartment. Quickly, man. Quickly. Captain, Captain. The leak cannot be stopped. There's a large hole. It's, it's two yards of diameter at the ship's bottom. Fortunately, fortunately, the damaged compartment did not house the boilers, or they would have been immediately extinguished. What caused the damage? I can't say for sure, Captain, but the hull appears to have been punctured by a, a sharp object. Have you sealed up the compartment? Oh, yes, 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 sir, yes. It's taken a lot of water, but I believe we'll be able to make it back to port. The Scotia slowly made its way back to Liverpool and was put in dry dock for repairs. Upon closer examination, the engineers could scarcely believe what they found. At two yards and a half below watermark was a perfectly defined hole in the form of an isosceles triangle. Whatever instrument had produced this perforation had not only penetrated the one and three-eighths inch thick hull with terrific strength, but had withdrawn itself by a backwards motion. From this moment on, all casualties at sea which could not be accounted for were put down to the monster. The public demanded sharply that the sea should, at any price, be relieved of this formidable creature. Perhaps you are wondering at this point who I am and how I became involved in this most fantastic story. My name is Pierre Arnax. I am frequently addressed as Professor because I am the Assistant Professor at the Museum of Natural History in Paris. Although I had been very aware of the so-called monster and of the events leading up to the accident involving the Scotia, I did not become personally involved until my arrival in New York, where the debate was at its height. Many theories had been formed. On one side, those who were for a sea monster of colossal strength. On the other, those who were for a submarine vessel of enormous size and power. The truth is that I had gained a special reputation in this rather obscure branch of natural history with my publication in France of a work of two volumes entitled Mysteries of the Great Submarine Grounds. This mystery had puzzled me from the beginning. 
My attempts to come to some logical conclusion on the matter had been futile. I jumped from one extreme to the other just like everyone else. I had avoided the press for as long as I could. But once in New York, I found myself being driven into a corner. Professor, Professor, is it your belief that this monster is some sort of man-made vessel? Well, the question of such a vessel is, where, when, and how is it built? And how could its construction have been kept a could, secret? Couldn't a government build and possess this type of destructive war machine? Uh, yes, yes, it is possible, but unlikely. Without transatlantic communications, suffering, and the safety of the public interest in question, the Declaration of Governments have openly stated that they are in no way responsible for these incidents. But, 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 sir, and what about a private party? Besides the money, skill, and knowledge required to build such a vessel, I repeat that it would be extremely difficult for a government, let alone a private individual, to keep the construction of such a vehicle secret. Yeah, professor, professor, the world is waiting to hear your explanation of this object. Do you have a theory? After examining one by one the different theories, rejecting all other suggestions, it becomes necessary to admit the existence of a marine animal of enormous size and power. The great depths of the ocean are entirely unknown to us. What beings live or can live 12 or 15 miles beneath the surface of the water, we can scarcely conjecture. But if we seek for the animal in question amongst those marines already classified, it is my personal belief that what we are dealing with here is the existence of a gigantic Noah. Oh, shut up! The common Noah, or unicorn of the sea, often attains a length of 60 feet. Increase its size fivefold or tenfold. Give it strength of proportion to its size, lengthen its destructive ivory tusk, and you obtain the animal required. It will have the proportions described by the Shannon and the instrument and power necessary to pierce the hull of the Scotia. Until further information, therefore, I shall maintain it to be a sea unicorn of colossal dimensions. One more question. That's all I have to say on the subject. Thank you very much. I admit that it was a bit cowardly on my part to allow myself a way out if my theory proved wrong. But in effect, I had openly admitted the existence of the monster. The United States was the first to take action by making preparations for an expedition to pursue this giant narwhal. A frigate of great speed, the Abraham Lincoln, was put in commission under the command of a Captain Farragut. The ship was armed with an arsenal of weapons, including a large assortment of formidable fishing apparatus. But, as is often the case, the moment it was decided to hunt the monster, the monster did not appear. For two months, all was quiet. The crew was ready with nowhere to go when, on the 2nd of July, they learned that a steamer had spotted the animal three weeks before in the North Pacific Ocean. This letter just arrived for you, sir. It's stamped urgent. Thank you, Conseil. To Monsieur Aronnax, professor in the Museum at Paris, Fifth Avenue Hotel, New York. Sir, if you will consent to join the expedition of the Abraham Lincoln, the government of the United States will, with pleasure, see France represented in the enterprise. Commander Farragut has a cabin at your disposal. Very cordially yours, J.B. Hobson, Secretary of the Navy.
three seconds before the arrival of the letter, I no more thought of pursuing the unicorn than of finding the Northwest Passage. Three seconds after reading the letter from the Honorable Secretary, I felt that my true vocation, the sole purpose of my life, was to chase this disturbing monster and purge it from the world. Conseil! Conseil! Make preparations for me and yourself too. We leave in two hours. As you please, sir. We take our passage on the Abraham Lincoln. As you think proper, sir. We are not returning to Paris, then. Oh, certainly. By making a curve. Will the curve please you, sir? Yes, yes, my friend. You see, it has to do with the monster, the famous Nawal. We are going to purchase from the seas. Yes, sir. It is a glorious mission, Conseil, but a dangerous one. Yes, sir. We cannot tell where we may go or for how long. These animals can be very capricious. I understand, sir. Conseil, you are a loyal friend and trusted servant. And although you have always accompanied me in my travels, I want you to know that I will understand if you do not wish to follow me on this expedition. Are you game, Conseil? As you please, sir. You're a good man, Conseil. Not an instant to lose. Now pack our traveling trunks fully and make haste. Our luggage was transported to the frigate, which was a flurry of activity. We hastened on board, and I asked immediately to see Captain Farragut. I was conducted to the bridge, where I found myself in the presence of a good-looking officer, who held out his hand to me. Monsieur Pierre Aronnax. Himself, Captain Farragut? At your service, Professor. Welcome. The cabin is ready for you. If you wish, you may stay on the bridge until we cast off. Thank you, Commander. I believe I will. Very well. Cast off the last moorings. Engineer, steam to full. Take her out. As the ship maneuvered out of port, it occurred to me that in a quarter of an hour...